have your Bible with you this morning, I'd like for you to open to Matthew chapter 4, because I want to talk to you about a subject that I believe is very, very dear to the heart of Jesus, and that is when Jesus begins to put a call upon our lives to follow him. Now, when we start talking about following Jesus, that we've got to lay some ground rules for this conversation, is the fact that when we talk about following Jesus, we have got to understand that we have got to have a paradigm shift by what we normally think in the American church about what it means to follow after Jesus. Because there are many, many people, especially those that have grown up in the Bible Belt areas or have been in church for a long, long time, they believe that salvation and following Jesus is two separate separate events. I have just been pastoring for six years in a place in western Kentucky area where the entire emphasis has been on salvation, 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 to where I have been running up against this traditional wall, getting people to understand that salvation is the beginning, not the end, that salvation is the birthing room. But you do not leave people in the birthing room. You've got to grow them beyond the birthing room to a place where they understand that when Jesus saved you, when you came to that place where you acknowledged your need for the Savior and Jesus came into your life, his idea of that experience for you was that following him and giving your life to him was going to be one continuous lifestyle change. It was going to be a transformation that was going to happen in your life that was not going to be salvation for many and then following just left for a few. That it was going to be this experience of following after Jesus Jesus once you gave your life to him. That is what I believe the scripture bears out. If you look through the New Testament over and over again, especially in the Gospels, the idea that Jesus had for those that he was calling into the kingdom work was that they would become a fully devoted follower of God. Now, I know that we could probably go around this room this morning and everybody has their own idea about what church ought to be and what the vision of church ought to be and what the purpose of church ought to be. And a lot of that is based upon your backgrounds and what, how you grew up and what you have been taught. But if you will really analyze the New Testament, you will find that I believe that God's heart so stresses that the desire for the church is to develop fully devoted followers of God. That is what God has in his heart for us. So we're going to talk about following God, this following Jesus this morning. And let's look to Matthew chapter 4, starting verse number 18. Now, Jesus, as, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Boy, that is just such a visual passage, isn't it? You can almost picture that. You can almost get this visual picture in your mind about what that event had to look like. But the first thing I want you to notice when Jesus begins to call us to follow him, that it is a call to follow someone. Jesus is calling us to follow him. He is not calling us to follow an organization. He is not following us to follow a set of moral guidelines, even though those are all part of following him. He is initially calling us to follow him. He is inviting us into an intimate relationship with himself. Now, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to get my mind around that, that the God of the 
universe desires to have a relationship with me. He knows every difficult thing in my life. He knows every fault that I have, and he still desires to have an intimate relationship with me. The scripture actually says he knows me by name. I loved it when Chris said a moment ago that some of you may be in this room and you feel like that you've blown it. You feel as though that God may be upset with you or God may be ashamed of you or that you have somehow alienated the love of God in your life and you're walking around in guilt and shame. The greatest news that I could give to you this morning is that not only has Jesus forgiven you, not only has he called you into relationship with him, but he actually knows your very name. He actually knows everything about you. He actually knows all of the things that make up your life, and he loves you unconditionally. When the world is one to set you into rejection and condemn you, Jesus is there to call you into himself. And he says, because you have followed me, I know my sheep and my sheep follow me. Look at what he actually says in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give to them eternal life and they will never perish. Boy, I love that reality of knowing that I am in the hand of Jesus no matter what. No matter what comes my way, no matter what things that I seem to blow it on occasion, I am actually in the hand of Jesus. But let me give you a little uh, a little application here that I think is so important for us to get. In this passage where it says, and they follow me, in the Greek, that word means that Jesus says, it literally means your place is following after me. So for every believer, every Christian, their place, their place with God is following after Christ. That's why when you see people within churches or people that are professing believers and they do not follow after God in their lifestyle, they are out of place. That is not the life that God has designed for them to be able to have. God has destined them for a life of intimate relationship. And we all know about relationship. We all desire a relationship, don't we? I mean, some of you are seeking the perfect relationship right now. Matter of fact, some of you are looking around, checking people out in this room, thinking if they may be in here. I mean, you're just check it, checking it out. And that starts at a really young age. Remember those really deep love notes you used to write when you were a kid? I mean, you know, like in third or fourth grade, I can remember those deep things. I was very, very deep for my age. And you would write these notes. I like you. Do you like me? Check the box below. And uh, remember those? I mean, those were awesome. And it was yes, no, maybe. And we always included the maybe. Because where there is a built-in desire in every human being that desires relationship. And God has placed that within us, so we desire that relationship. And the good news is he provided the way for us to have relationship with him. So following after Jesus is following after a person. It is a relationship. It is not some stale set of rules and regulations. It is a living, viable, intimate relationship that you nurture and is alive in you, that has passion, and it has, it, it has emotion connected to it, that you invest into your relationship with the Lord. Then the second thing we can notice in this passage is it's also a call to do something. What did Jesus say? Not only did he say, follow me, he says, but I will make you fishers of men. The last part of verse number 19. It is a call to do something. And the thing that God is calling us to do is to be a follower of him, be a fisher of men. Now, 
there are many who try to pigeonhole that verse to mean just evangelism. And let me just kind of throw this in as a side note. I believe what the New Testament teaches about evangelism. I believe the church is the gathering place of the body. And I think for so many times we believe that all of the evangelism that's going to happen in our lives has to happen within these four walls. But that is an unbiblical concept. The idea of a follower of God and a fisher of men would be this, is that we are the salt and the light of Jesus in such a way that we leave this place today and we go out into the community and all week long we are being salt and light. All week long, we are, ex- we are giving people an example to follow of Jesus. And people are so, uh, so taken by the life that we are living that they are attracted to that light. They are caused to be thirsty by that salt. And therefore, they inquire what it is in us that makes us different from everyone else. Then we have the opportunity to share the hope that lives within us. They receive that message. And then we gather in here at 1030 on Sunday morning to celebrate the goodness of God, to celebrate the greatness of His grace, to celebrate and to teach and to disciple, and then so we can go back out and continue to be the salt in the life of the earth out there. That is what God desires for us to be able to do. This verse does not just mean about evangelism. He says, I will make you a fisher of men. The only way that we are going to truly be able to influence the life of people is if we ourselves are a true disciple of Christ. That means we emulate the life of Jesus. You know, many times in the scripture it says, be an imitator of God. You know what that actually means? It means like when you trace around something. It means that you become a copy of the original. It means like when you're putting your hand on a piece of tracing paper and you trace around it and you hold it up, it begins to be, it's the same size, it's the same shape, it's the same configuration. Why? Because you traced it around the original. That's what it means to be an imitator of Christ. To be an imitator of Christ means that my life is so connected with God that I am following God in such a way that when people see me, they are seeing Christ living through me. You sang a lot of songs about that this morning. That is the mystery of the gospel. That is the hope of glory. Christ in us by his spirit molding us and shaping us into him as his image. That's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, is that from spirit to spirit, we are being transformed into his image. God is shaping us. Now, all of us are under construction in here. I don't look around and see anybody that's complete yet. Aren't you glad about that? I mean, aren't you glad we're not done? Aren't you glad God's still working on some rough edges in all of us? We are in this, we are in this, this process of being, uh, of being sanctified, the Scripture says, being conformed to the image of Jesus. And because of that, we are not all where we are going to end up, but none of us are where we used to be. None of us are where we started this journey, and that is the work of God as he conforms us to his image so we will be able to shine forth as the reflection of the original. That's why it's important to be a follower of Jesus. That's why the call upon our life is to do something, and that call is not for us to do something with a lot of man-made activity. It is the call for us to have our life transformed by the Spirit of Christ. Christ. So we become a disciple. For the risk of being sounding almost blasphemous, let me tell you, the biblical idea of becoming Christ-like is that we would become little Christ as people see us throughout the week. 
Now, I don't mean in deity. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about that I believe that you're going to get to a place in your life where you're going to be like little, little Jesus. I'm talking about that we are going to be little L, little L, little, and little C, Christ. We are going to be emulators or imitations of Christ in such a way. That is what God is calling us to be able to do. C.S. Lewis had a great quote. Here's what he said. In the same way the church exists for nothing else but to draw men to Christ, to make them little Christ. For if they they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, the clergy, the missions, the sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. And you know what the great news is? He has given us his spirit to make that a reality. Jesus did not say you will become fishers of men. He says, I will make you fishers of men. He says, I will enable you. And that's what John 15, 5 is all about. In John 15, 5, when it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. And boy, everybody ought to memorize this part. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Boy, in the American way, if there is one thing that American Christians need to get in their mind, apart from Jesus, we can do absolutely nothing. It is not about your abilities. It is not about your creativity. It is not about your talent. It is about your submission to Christ. It is about the Holy Spirit living through us in such a way that apart from Him, I am completely helpless. Apart from Him, I am completely lost in the things in which I can do. And I love the fact in John 15, 5, where He did not say that I would produce fruit. Because that makes it like something that I can do upon my own, but I would bear fruit. And bearing fruit just means I'm a channel of the vine because I'm a branch attached to the vine. And if you separate that vine from the branch, there is no life-giving measure that comes into that branch so that branch can't bear any fruit. And that's the way it is in our life. If we are not in abiding relationship with Jesus and following after him, then the flow of his spirit into our life is severed, and we are not able to produce the fruit, bear the fruit of the spirit in our life, because we are not becoming the channel that God wants to flow through us. Isn't that pretty cool? I believe that's what God desires for us to be able to understand. Now, if you knew me better, and Melissa knows me very, very well, you know that I believe strongly in worship. I can't sing at all, I mean, the, the thing that used to be the crack up at Prairie Creek years ago when Tony would lead our worship and he'd have the band up there. And at that time, I would kind of stand on the stage over here on this side. And about over here, we would have the piano or the keyboard, I believe. And Tony would be out there with the guitar. And I'd be standing back here because not being able to sing has never really interfered with my making noise. So, you know, I would just, I, I would just be singing. And I remember one time the keyboard player came to me and says, John, I don't want to really hurt your feelings but could you move? Because when you sing, it gets me completely off. I can't understand what I'm trying. I can't stay focused. But you know, I determined a long time ago, I may not be able to sing, but I am not going to let a rock out praise me. Because that's what Jesus said, wasn't it? Jesus says, if you keep silent, even the rocks are going to cry out. And I thought, you know what? No stone is going to out praise me, even though I am a nuisance to everybody else around me. 
I mean, that is the way that it, that it is. So I believe in worship. I believe in John chapter 4 when it says the Father is seeking those that would worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So I believe that worship is a big part of what we are to do. But I am observing something that is a little alarming to me in the modern church. And that is, is that we put so much emphasis on worshiping Jesus, which I believe in, but we are putting so little emphasis on following Jesus that I don't believe that you ought to be able to have one without the other. If you are truly going to be a worshiper, then you're going to have to be a follower. And then if you are a follower, then you will be a worshiper because that is going to be an expression of your heart. That is the standard of the life of a, of a disciple. We interact with God on a spiritual level. I think one of the other problems that we face is so many people think secularly all week long. We think with a natural mindset all week. And then we bring that natural mindset into the church, and we begin to try to judge spiritual things with a natural mindset, and the two do not coincide. They are a complete contradiction. They do not go together. And therefore, when you begin to try to make spiritual decisions with a fleshly mind, you've got chaos on the horizon because you cannot live the life of the Spirit by the mindset of the flesh. They are in opposition to one another. So being a follower of Jesus really is the question, what would Jesus do? I mean, I am becoming the older I get and the longer I spend in ministry. I really do believe that we can boil down this entire Christian experience, that we are to truly exhibit the attitude, the, the, the priorities, the lifestyle of Jesus. And that is what's going to make a difference in the world around us. That's what it means to be an imitator or an emulator of Christ. That's what it means to do something, to be a disciple. Remember several years ago when the bumper stickers came out, What Would Jesus Do? WWJD? I mean, they were everywhere. There were T-shirts. There were bumper stickers. There were billfolds. There was everything. The thing that cracked me up the most, I was in Lindell, Texas, walked into the little market there at the gas station, and right there on the counter, there were cigarette lighters with WWJD. And I thought, I don't know about anybody, but that just seems strange to me. I mean, I, that just seems like a contradiction of terms to have a cigarette lighter with WWJD on them. I, I, I never really got that. But it really ought to be more than just a slogan. It really ought to be a matter of our life. It really ought to be a characteristic of who we are. I believe the sad reality of the Western world and the church in which we live in is the fact that you can be very, very active in church and you can live your life at a standard that's accepted by most and not even really truly be a genuine follower of Jesus. I find that to be very, very alarming in the culture in which we live. It is almost as though that being a follower of Jesus has very little to do with the organization of church in our culture anymore. But that is not the way that Jesus designed for it to be. Dallas Willard made a statement. I want to read it to you because I believe it's very good. He said, one is not required to be or to intend to be a disciple in order to become a Christian. And one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress toward or in discipleship. Contemporary Western churches do not require following Christ in his example, spirit, and teachings as a condition of membership, either of entering or continuing in fellowship of a denomination or a local church. So far as the visible Christian institutions of our day are concerned, discipleship clearly is optional. Churches are therefore filled with undiscipled 
disciples. Most problems in contemporary churches can be explained by the fact that members have not yet decided to follow after Christ. Man, I'm going to tell you, what an indictment that is. And I have been pastored in local churches for 37 years, and I can tell you that statement is sadly accurate. That statement is sadly true. We have compartmentalized our life to such a degree that we have life outside of church and we have life inside of church. And we can put on the plastic smile and we can learn all the songs to the, all the words to the songs and we can know where all the scriptures are located. But in the privacy of our heart, we are living a secret life. Inside the privacy of our life, out among our non-church friends, we are a different individual. And that is what God is trying to call us away from from. He is trying to get us to recognize that we are to come over and allow him to be the one that transforms us, that we are to allow him to be the one that impacts absolutely every single area of our life, which leads me to the last point. When he says, immediately they left their nets and followed him, then you get to the very last passage in verse 22, when he called them and they were in the boat with their father Zebedee, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed after him. So not only is it a call, a call to follow someone, not only is it a call to do something, but it is also a call to leave someplace. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily geographical. Tony and the team are in Peru. You know, that doesn't mean that everybody in this room has got to go and be a missionary in Peru. That doesn't mean everybody's got to be able to go to Africa. The thing that terrified me when I was a kid trying to decide what God wanted to do in my life, I was afraid that if I surrendered my life to God, that that meant I was going to have to get me a pair of khaki shorts and a pith helmet and a net and go to Africa. I mean, and I was just contemplating this, thinking, God, I don't really want to go to Africa. I mean, I just don't feel a real desire to go live in the mud huts with the Zimbabwe's over there somewhere. I mean, that, so therefore, there can't be a plan for my life. Sometimes we put such geographical requirements upon what God is calling us to do. When he is saying, when I am saying they leave someplace, I'm not necessarily talking about a geographical location. I'm talking about something that's many times that we have created in our own life. We've created our own little comfort zones, haven't we? We've created our own little areas of security. We've created our own little areas of convenience. We've created our own little areas of things that I like and things that I don't like. And here's the problem that I see in many, many Christians' lives in churches is that we want to add Jesus on to all the other things that we desire to do inside of our life. So we are bringing Jesus from over here in his world into our world and say, now, Jesus, we want you to be a part of our life, but we want you to fit in my nice little neat God box. And I don't want to really be inconvenienced, but I will pick you up and carry you with me whenever the time is appropriate or I need you to be there for me. But I'm not going to give my life to you in transformation. I'm not going to give my life to you in totality. I'm not going to fully surrender myself to you. I just want you to come over here, and I want you to fit in my world, and I want you to fit in my little box. When in reality, Jesus is calling you from your world into his kingdom. And he is wanting to change your box. He is wanting to change your world into the world and the, and the way in which he sees things in the kingdom. And he is wanting to cut all of those rough edges off of you and make you one that is conformed to the image of Christ. 
And there is the resistance in our life because the spirit and the flesh war against each other. The spirit and the flesh are in opposition to each other. And as long as we want to make Jesus an add-on, that Jesus, I want you in my life, but I really want to be able to do my own thing. I really want to be able to follow my own career path. I want to be able to make the money that I want to be able to make. I want to be able to have the house that I want to have. I want to be able to have the relationships that I want to have. But you just kind of hang in here with me because a couple hours a week, I'll pull you out and carry you into church, and we'll have a good time together. That is not the idea of discipleship. Jesus is saying, I want you to leave someplace. And that someplace he is asking you to leave is all of the philosophy that has been the stronghold of this culture in which we live in. Everything of the postmodern era that many of you are so, so bound with in your mindset and the division between following after Jesus and not following after Jesus, he says, I want you to come away from there. I want you to leave all of that stuff and I want you to be a follower of me. So if you've got to leave behind some stuff, what are some of those things you've got to leave behind? The Scripture says one thing might be you might have to leave some family. You might have to leave some family. Now, I'm not talking about you disrespect family. I think this verse is really misunderstood. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And the one who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. There's another passage in Scripture. Remember the one that says, if you do not hate your father and mother? I know some kids who think that verse very, very literally. And that's the way in which they feel. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about if you, that it's wrong to love your mother and your father. He's not talking about it's wrong to love your brother and your sister. He is just saying your love for Christ and your willingness to follow after God has got to be at a higher, stronger commitment level than any other human relationship that you have on the planet. And what he is saying, there is going to be a time where you may have to make a choice that following after Jesus may be different than the way that you were brought up. Boy, if I could just break one thing that seems to be such a bondage of so many young people's past, the way in which we were brought up becomes a crutch or an excuse to live as a victim. Well, I am the way I am because of the way that I was raised or the influence that I had growing up. Well, the only problem with that is 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if you're in Christ, you're a brand new creation, that God has given you the power and the authority to break all of that upbringing. You do not have to be a negative person just because your parents have been a negative person. You do not have to go into sin just because you had parents that chose to live in sin. And just because you may have been abandoned or abused does not mean that God cannot be trusted. So what we have to recognize is that our love for God has got to be the driving force that our involvement in the kingdom is more important than any other tag-along relationship that may be required. Most of you in here are not old enough to have older kids yet. Some of you are. But there used to be a time when having your kids go into ministry was really an honorable thing. And parents would be thrilled when their kids went toward ministry. Nowadays, in the generation of parents, it's almost like when your child decides to go into ministry, you look at them like something's wrong with them. 
I mean, they look at them like they're not maybe all together intellectually. Kind of like whenever you're sitting beside somebody on an airplane and you're traveling and you're in the conversation, what do you do? Well, I'm a stockbroker and, you know, I manage wealth for people and da-da-da. Well, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor of a church. And they look at you like, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> you know, they, they just look at you like, that's odd. You looked intelligence before I started talking to you. And, I, you know, they, they just kind of look at you with this look like, that's just pitiful. Somebody wasting their life the way that you are. I'm going to tell you, there is no greater, there is no greater direction you can go in your life than pursuing the things of God. There is no greater direction that you can go than encouraging those under your care to be involved in ministry. When I was talking to Tony the other day, I think it is so incredibly awesome that Aiden is in Peru with his dad. I mean, that is going to be an influence and a memory forever and is going to plant seeds in his life that Tony is telling him your involvement in the lives of other people and for the kingdom has to be important in your life. Man, what an incredible thing that is. But sometimes we have to leave family. There's another thing. We may have to leave personal ambitions. And I know some of you are at the age right now trying to figure out what in the world you're going to do with your life. I mean, God, what in the world do you have for me? Who do you have for me? Where am I going to end up? What am I going to be doing? Do I need to go to school? Do I not need to go to school? What kind of job do I need to get? All of those questions, isn't it? I mean, and it's a confusing deal. It's like a whirlwind, trying to figure all of that stuff out. But one of the things that you're going to have to conquer is you're going to have to analyze what your personal ambitions are and see if they line up with God's will for your life. Because you are not an accident. I am a strong believer in the destiny and purpose of God. I believe that before you were born, God had giftings in you, and God knew exactly what he desired for you to be able to accomplish in the kingdom. And what your goal right now at this stage in your life is, is to try to find out and discover what that is, and then align your life with those callings that God has for the kingdom of God. Because the saddest thing in the world is for people who live selfishly, and then they are absolutely miserable absolutely miserable. Why? They're not doing what God asked them to do. Jesus addressed this also in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 24, he said, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow after me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's one of those paradox verses because it makes absolutely no sense on the surface. Can you imagine being a disciple? Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will find it for my sake. And they're going, what? I mean, that doesn't even make any sense. What's he saying here? He's saying that what you give away is the way in which you find the reality of your life. The fulfillment of your life is by being a giver, not a taker. The reality of your life is being one to give yourself away to the kingdom of God, not just absorbing stuff like a sponge and thinking that it's all about you. One of the curses of the American church is it's all about me. And that's why churches have all kinds of chaos happening in them because everybody wants it my way. It's like Burger King, man. You go and you want it your way. I want the worship to be the way I want it. I want the teaching to be the way I want it. I want the outreaches to be the way that I want it. We never entertain the idea, God, you tell me what you want and we will adjust ourselves to what that is. We have gotten so me-oriented in the body of Christ that we are missing the entire idea that Jesus says, you're going to have to give your life away. You're going to have to surrender your life. So whatever these ambitions are, now that may be possible that your ambitions and God's will for you are going to line up perfectly. 
I don't believe, I'm one, not one of these that believe everybody's got to be in ministry because I believe that everything that you do is a ministry. God's not asking every one of you guys to be a missionary, but he is asking you to be a disciple no matter where it is that you go. He is asking you, if you're going to be an architect, then you be a God-honoring architect, that you be an architect that is going to be able to please God and be a witness for him in that field. If you're going to be a construction worker, then you be a godly construction worker, and you be a witness wherever it is that you are in that realm of employment. I think we've got to get our mind knowing that God is working in this generation through the marketplace as much as he is through the pulpit, and that's okay. But you've got to make sure that his will and your, and your will lines up with each other to where you are not holding on to your thing and saying, God, I'm sorry, you don't fit into my plans and I'm not able to follow you right now. God is calling you into that place. And then lastly this morning, we may have to leave some possessions behind. And y'all are probably thinking, no problem, I've already done that, I don't have anything. You know, you're looking around at your life saying, well, that won't be hard. You know, I mean, I, you know, I've got a car that's held together with duct tape already. I mean, I don't have any place, you know, any, anything whatsoever. But we are walking this out right now. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm just going to be honest with you, it's a scary place. I mean, it can be a scary place, this walk of faith. But God says that we walk by faith and not by sight, right? But it's easy to preach that when you're walking with security. I mean, it's easy to preach that message, and you know, and, and you'd preach that in churches, and then on Wednesday when I'd get paid, I'd go to the bank and cash my check. And it's like, yes, sir, thank God for faith. And, uh, you know, thank the Lord that I am one that walks by faith. But you know what? God has called us into a true walk by faith. You know, my wife and I look at each other every once in a while the last few days ago. How you doing? I don't know. How you doing? How you feeling? I don't know. How you feeling? What do you think? I don't know. I think I'm scared right now. But, I, you know, we go back and forth. Why? Because we walked away from a weekly salary. We walked away from a place to live. We walked away from all of the man-made security that you have in your life because we felt like Jesus says, I've got something different for you at this particular hour. And you know what? I can't explain it to you. On one side, I'm kind of like overwhelmed and paranoid and a little afraid. On the other side, I'm completely free and at peace with it because I know God's going to do what God said he's going to do. And that's a cool place to be in. So what I'm trying to say is this. If your entire focus is on stuff, and boy, is that our culture. One of the biggest businesses in America is storage buildings. I mean, does that indicate that we've got too much stuff? I mean, when we've got more stuff than the rooms in our house, we've got too much stuff. I mean, I'm getting ready to go. We're going back to Kentucky today and on the way there, and we're going to load up our stuff. And I'm going to tell you, i got too much stuff. I mean, it's amazing that I've got a garage full of stuff. I mean, you would think I was a carpenter. I don't know how to use any of it. <laughs> but one of my favorite stores is Lowe's. I love going to Lowe's, and they love to see me come because they say, here he comes again. You know, we can sell this guy anything. Tractor supply. I don't know anything about ranching. I know nothing about farming, but I love that store. I love walking in and just going, yep, that's manly smell right there, man. And that's the smell of leather and other things, I'm telling you. I mean, I love that smell. I've got stuff that I don't even know that I have that I just found the other day when we were packing. We've got a lot of stuff. Storage buildings packed with stuff that's been in it for years. We don't even know what it is, but it's my stuff. I mean, it's my stuff. And we know, we know in our, we know that God says that I want you to invest in the kingdom. 
We know that God says that the kingdom of God is not about flesh and blood or stuff. But you know what? Trying to live that out is difficult, isn't it? We've got to make a conscious choice that we do not need to live according to the standard of the world. It really is not a contest, guys, about who ends up at the end of life with the most toys wins. That really isn't the, that really isn't the, 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 the scale. What God is asking us to do is to give ourselves fully into the kingdom. I won't read the scripture because we're out of time, but if you go to Matthew chapter 19, you'll talk about the rich young ruler. And he asked Jesus, he said, what must I do to be a follower of you? He says, I want you to go and sell everything you have and come and follow after me. And the Bible says that he went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. Well, I think sometimes the possessions in which we either have or desire to have. You see, we get an idea that a materialistic person is somebody who has a whole lot of stuff. Not true. A materialistic person can be someone who desires to have a whole lot of stuff. It may not be what you currently have. It may be what you desire to have. And we, if we are not careful, all of those things are going to be a millstone around our neck. All of those things are going to be a hindrance to our walk of following after Jesus. You do not hear the message of self-denial and sacrifice taught very much. But you know what I believe? I believe that there is a generation, and I believe you all are part of that generation, that I believe that there is a generation that is hungry for to invest their life into something bigger than themselves. I believe there is a desire in a generation that is coming, and if the institutional church does not wake up and recognize that there is a change on the horizon, that there is a generation of young adults that are wanting authenticity more than religion, that there is a group of young adults that are wanting reality more than organization, that there is a group of young adults that are really, truly desiring a walk with Jesus, and you are looking for something that is real to invest your life in. That's why you're in this church. That's why you're here, because it's real. It's real life. It's authentic. It's rubbing shoulders with one another. I believe that is the, the newfound hunger that is happening within the culture. Whether you agree politically with our president or not, one of the things that he did tap into in the last election was that he tapped into young adults your age by giving them the fact that we are to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, that we are to give our life away to a cause. Now, his cause naturally was government, and his cause was serving other things. I believe that same hunger, though, is there in the spiritual realm if we'll just tap into it. I believe that same desire is there. And if we will not tap into it, I promise you, the enemy will give a substitute for it. And the world will give a substitute for it. And the government will give a substitute for it. But that hunger started with Jesus. That hunger began with him for us to invest our life into the kingdom of God. Because here's one thing I know, and you can take it from an old guy today, that you will never give your life to Jesus, where he does not always give more in return to you for what you ever gave to him. It may not be in dollars and cents, and it may not be in houses and cars, but I promise you, Jesus is faithful. I promise you that God will not let you down. I promise you that if you get to the place in your life where you're willing to give it all to him, he will honor his word in your life. He's not going to drop you halfway through the journey. He will perfect in you, complete in you what it is that was started in you.
So following Jesus is an exciting adventure that God is wanting every single one of us to be involved in. So if you're here this morning, you think, well, I've already given my life to Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. That's all there is. You're missing the entire point. Heaven's a great place. It's going to be a great reward at the end of the journey. But you know what? I've got some things I'd like to do on the earth first. I mean, God did not just save me for the hereafter. He also saved me for the here and now, that God is empowering us to make a difference in the community where we are and the lives of people all around us. Let's answer that call. Let's be one that says, God, I will follow you. Let's be one to say, you know what? Sign me up. That sounds like something that I want to be involved in. What did these guys do? It says immediately. That amazes me in the church world today (laughs) because we usually have to beg and beg and beg and beg and beg to get anybody to do anything. Jesus just said, follow me, and they immediately left their boats and followed after him. Boy, that's what God's looking for, you know what, is instant obedience. Because here's what you need to remember as we close. Partial obedience is actually disobedience because you're not following fully what God has put in your heart to be able to do. So think about that. God is calling us to be a part of this life of being a true, devoted follower of him. And I know I can sense in this room that's your desire, that's your heart. And I'm just excited as all can be to see what births through your all's life because I believe that God has great things in store for anyone that says, I will be a follower of Jesus. You believe that? Let me pray for you.